Guys, I want to read to you uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, the Apostle Paul is giving instructions to the church about one of the church's two sacraments, right? We, we only have two sacraments. That's the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And so uh, in regards to the Lord's Supper, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night that uh, Jesus was betrayed, the, uh, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup. And, and after the supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And guys, uh, that's, that's an important line. We, we miss it a lot. It's important. What we're proclaiming is that Jesus' death is enough for us. That, that uh, in fact, that, that we're in need of a Savior and that God had provided a Savior in Jesus Christ and that Jesus' perfect life, sacrificial death, the fact that he conquered death, that is enough for us. And, and sometimes uh, in this world, guys, if, if, if you're like me, sometimes, sometimes you question that, right? Uh, sometimes you look in the mirror and you feel like, like there's no way that... Jesus could make you holy. There's no way that he could make you right. We're actually going to talk about that this morning. And, 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 and some of us, we, we really question that. But that's one of the reasons we do this on a regular basis is a reminder. Yes, Jesus is enough, even for me, right? Even for me. And so this morning, what we're going to do is, is we're going to pause in the midst of the busyness of life. And I don't know what you're going through. I do know that life is distracting, it's easy to take our eyes off of Jesus. That's why Scripture reminds us, right? Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We don't do that enough, and this is one of those moments we're going to do that. So before um, we, we do this great thing of remembrance, this great sacrament called the Lord's Supper, uh, there is a little bit of examination that has to happen. And so the Bible uh, goes on. Paul goes on. He says, so then whenever or whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is going to be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Uh, let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so uh, we do that, that kind of that moment of recogni uh, recognition. Um, we, we do that by pausing. We do that by praying. Uh, so this is our time of self-examination. So as you guys uh, bow your heads, I'm going to ask our deacons. They're going to do that back there uh, to my left, to your right. They're going to meet Brother Jeff Carter. They're going to prepare themselves to serve you. Um, but where we are, we're going to take a moment and uh, just pause and, and bow your head before the Lord. And, and this is a time for you to pray. And I want you to pray on your own. I'm not going to lead you or guide you. Um, but I might suggest that maybe the words of David be your, your guiding prayer, like one of those, search me, O God, and know my heart. So this is time. Go before the Lord. Ask him, Lord, is there any sin in my life that is unconfessed? Is there anything I'm trying to hide from you? Lord, is there a grudge that I'm holding against someone else? Just go before him. Let him examine your heart.
please search and know our hearts this morning. And Lord, know that though we sin, we don't want to. It's a fight against our body. Like Paul says, we, we try to beat our body and make it a slave because we want your spirit to reign in us. And so God, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your provision in our life. Be honored in what we do here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, uh, it says that Jesus took some plain bread and that he broke it. And so that's what we have here. Go ahead, gentlemen. We'll ask that you would take the element, that you'd hold it. I do want to let you know that if you're here this morning and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, then we're going to ask that you would just let the plate, the, the plate uh, pass by you, and that's okay. And so if we've got uh, any, any young ones here or, or any old ones here that just haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ yet, it's okay. You just pass that plate on to the next person uh, past you. This is something for people who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And we ask you to take that element, hold it. We will all take it together here in just a moment. not exceptional. It's not the best tasting bread you've ever had. Uh, it's pretty ordinary. And the Bible actually says that's how Jesus came. There was nothing about him that would have drawn men to himself, right? But he, he just came unassuming. He humbled himself, and, and he was actually born for this very reason, so that he could die for our sake. And he says, this is my body. It's broken for you. Whenever you do this, would you do this in remembrance of me? Same evening, they enjoyed some wine together. And again, great, great symbolism. Go ahead, gentlemen. This time, the cup would symbolize his blood. And guys, this is crucial, right? Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so as you take and hold this element, perhaps you might just ponder and pray 
about the sacrifice that Jesus has made for our sake and that without his blood, we could not be forgiven. for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That happened through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Without the shedding of his blood, we could not be forgiven. And so this morning we pause and we say, Jesus, thank you. This is the cup of the new covenant. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Guys, um, it's 9.01. We're going to try to get you out of here. 9.30, that's the goal. Uh, But we have lots of exciting things to share with you today. Yeah, we're going to work on getting you some lights. There we go. Um, Lots of exciting things to share with you today. Some exciting news. Uh, None uh, more exciting than this right here. And so um, we're going to talk, continue this conversation about what Christ has done for us as, as we continue to focus our series here on the kingdom of God. And this morning... Um, specifically, we're going to talk about the righteousness of the kingdom. And so join me in a word of prayer. We left off, by the way, guys, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 46. We're going to pick up where we left off. Now we're going to be in Matthew 13, verse 47. And so uh, join me in a quick word of prayer, and then we will be there. So Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you again um, for your word, which we know to be true and right and good and powerful and effective and sharp. We know that it is useful to teach us, to rebuke us, correct us, train us, all in righteousness. And God, that's what we're here for today, is to talk about the righteousness of your kingdom. And so, Holy Spirit, we want to invite you now to come and take your place. Uh, As a teacher of this church, we pray that you would lift up and exalt Jesus Christ in our midst, that we might see him clearly in Jesus as we see you lifted up. Uh, May your word be true as it is, that you would draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Um, All right, guys, so I'm in Matthew chapter 13. Again, we left off in verse 46. I'm going to pick up in verse 47, and we're going to read this little parable together that takes us down through verse 50. And Jesus uh, says this. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, they dragged it ashore, they sat down, and they gathered the good fish into containers, but they threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, and they will separate the evil people from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so uh, this morning, guys, what I want to do is I kind of want to classify where this parable fits into our ongoing conversation about the kingdom. And so I shared with you guys uh, the kingdom primarily is a reference to God's reign or God's rule over us. That reign or that rule is manifested in two different periods of time. Um, Many times... Uh, we, we, we've been talking about a lot, is, is the, the kingdom of God or the reign of God or the rule of God in this present age. And we said that happened because Jesus Christ uh, brought the, the future realm of the kingdom of God. It invaded this present evil age that we live in, uh, right, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now we get a taste of the, of the future realm. We get it now in this present evil age. But what Jesus is talking about today, okay, is what happens at the end of this present evil age. At the end of this present evil age, the, the, the kingdom, which was inaugurated when Jesus came, uh, uh, lived a perfect life, died in our place, right? At the end of this, this present evil age, the kingdom of God will be fully consummated. And so he's talking about what happens then. That's kind of where this parable fits in. So, so this is future realm. That's, that's what we're talking about. Um, and specifically, uh, this morning, um, he, this has to do with who gets in to that future realm of the kingdom and who doesn't. And so three things I want to share with you very quickly uh, according to the text. And here's the first thing I want you to see, guys, is that entrance into the kingdom of God uh, depends on righteousness. Okay? Entrance into the kingdom of God depends on righteousness. And I I don't want you to miss this. Um, I want you to notice plainly the criteria for entrance into the kingdom of God. And I say that because I think a lot of us have missed this. I think we've read the Bible. I think we know a little bit about the kingdom of God. We know a little bit about heaven. But we kind of miss the primary criteria for getting into heaven, according to the Bible. I mean, not just in this passage, but throughout the Bible. The primary criteria to be in the presence of God is that you've got to be righteous. Right? That's the criteria. And so in verse 49, it says it plainly. So Jesus says, so this is going to be. So he tells a parable about a fish. It says, man, the fishermen go out, and they, they cast a net, and when they pull the net in, there's, there's all kinds of fish. And then they bring it on shore, and then what they do is they separate the, the good fish, and they put them in a container, but all the bad fish they throw away. And he says, that's how it's going to be at the end of the age, right? And so at the end of the age, the end of the, the age we live in, the end of the present evil age, uh, the angels are going to go out, and they're going to separate the evil people from the what? Righteous. That's it. So the criteria for separation, what defines a good fish and a bad fish, according to Jesus, is righteousness, right? So that is the criteria to get into the kingdom of God. And and, and though this may be news to you, um, it's it's really throughout the the whole text of Scripture. And so I kind of want to just share that with you. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, which we will go to. And if you're one of those people you want to get ahead, you can just turn there because we're going to turn there together in a little bit and read. But Matthew 5, 20, Jesus says this. He says, for I tell you, 
unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never what? Get into the kingdom of God. So so here's the deal. To get into the kingdom of God, the prerequisite, uh, anybody run into that when you were in school? Uh, I was about to graduate college. Uh, My my now wife and I were engaged, and uh, and I was a marketing major, and and I was was ready to graduate, and forever they had allowed you to take two classes together, right? Even though one of them was a prerequisite for the other. And my very last semester in college, and uh, I, I, I had some issues early on in college, I was a four and a half year guy, and so that that last half year, they decided to change the cry. They're like, "Nope, we're going to uphold what our what our policies and procedures say." That's a prereq. You can't take those two classes together. And there I was. We had a wedding planned, and I needed a job. And we were. I was like, "Ah!" So I changed my major the very last semester in college, and had to take a bunch of classes that are ridiculous and healthcare management. I mean, things I would never do. But I graduated, so it was good. It was good. I got out. It was all fine. But but it was a prereq. You had to have it. And, and, and listen, this is what Jesus is saying. Here's the prereq to get into heaven. You have to be righteous. That's the requirement. That is the criteria. That is the prerequisite to get into heaven. Um, David would basically write the same thing in the Old Testament. He says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? He declares, only he who has clean hands and what? A pure heart. Only he who is righteous. And so what I want you to see this morning, and maybe you've already known it, but really entrance into the kingdom is all about righteousness because the kingdom itself is a kingdom of righteousness. Paul in Romans chapter 14 is, is trying to talk to the church about unity, but he, he kind of drops this truth bomb here. He says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness, and no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are righteous. Now, let that set for a second. As that sets for a second, your spirit is saying something to you, and I think what it is saying to you is the same thing it says to me. Oh, no. Oh, no. Right? That's a problem, isn't it? If, if the only people that can enter the kingdom of God is our, our righteous people. If that's the criteria to get into the kingdom of God, we have a problem. That's what my spirit says to me. Is, Man, that is a problem, dude, because a lot of people may think you're good, but I know the truth. So we have this problem. It brings me to the second point, okay? It says, all of our good works fall miserably short of God's standard of righteousness. So we start here. How do, how do I get into the kingdom of God? Right? How, how can I be saved is another way to, to phrase that question. How can I be saved? And the answer that the Bible declares is you've got to be righteous. And, and you're like, okay, I've I got to be righteous. But then the Bible equally declares there's no way you can do that. All of your acts of righteousness, all of your things are going to fall miserably short of God's standard. And so I want to go back to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm in Matthew chapter 5. And I just want to read this uh, to you. We're going to start in verse 17 and read through 20. And and I I hope we can kind of put ourselves in the text and try to figure out what's going on. So uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 17, Jesus, this is the most famous sermon. um, Crowds of people, uh, including Pharisees around. And and so this is what he says. He says, "Uh, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. 
For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And so I kind of want to wrap our minds. Let's put ourselves in that situation for a second. Now, uh, of course, Jesus is not just surrounded by crowds, but he's also surrounded by the religious folks that are kind of, they're always keeping an eye on him, writing down everything he says wrong, does wrong. Um, I know what that's like. Uh, and so um, that, that happens. And, and so I get some of those emails. And, um, and so Jesus is there, and that's kind of what's going on. And, and, and their primary complaint against Jesus was that in their mind, he was very lax, morally speaking, in regards to the law. They're like, you know, I mean, they had 633 commands that they had to keep up, that they had to teach people uh, how to keep, keep up so that so they could be right. So, so they had all these commands. A lot of those had to do, uh, for instance, with the Sabbath, and then there's Jesus on the Sabbath healing people, right? There's Jesus on the Sabbath walking through a field and actually working by picking some of the grain that he didn't grow, that God grew with the rain and the sun, and, and having a little snack with his disciples. And, and, and they had great problems with him. And so, so their primary issue with Jesus was like, man, he is very lax in his morals, in his rules, those kind of things. So that's what the religious people thought. And then Jesus kind of shows up, and he's like, because uh, his followers felt that way too. His, his followers are like, yes, Jesus, finally. I mean, I mean, this guy's so much better than those guys, right? Because, because let's face it, when Jesus would kind of stick it to the Pharisees, the crowds had felt that oppression of the Pharisees too. I mean, I mean, the Pharisees, like Jesus would say, man, you guys have placed a burden on the people that they can't bear. And so the people felt this heavy pressure from the religious folks of their day, their, their, their teachers and guides. And, and they're like, man, this isn't, we, we can't do this. And so they felt so heavy and, and, and they had really become kind of upset with the Pharisees. And Jesus shows up and he starts to kind of stick it to the Pharisees. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, give it to them, man. Give it to them. And so they're kind of that way, like, yeah, get them, get them. And in the midst of that, Jesus drops this truth. And he's like, hey, I didn't come to make it easy. I didn't come to lift a burden. Actually, I've, I've come to raise the bar, not to lower it. And so then he goes on in this sermon. He says, in fact, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit murder. But I'm not here to lower that bar. I'm not here to give you a bunch of rules of what murder is to define it and give, like, I'm not going to give you a way out. In fact, let me raise the bar. It's not about murder, it's about anger in your heart towards a brother or sister. Right? And then he says, You've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. I'm not here to lower the bar and to tell you what adultery is and what it's not. I'm here to raise the bar. It's not about adultery. It's about lusting after anything or anyone that's not yours. He says, you've heard it said, right? You've heard it said, and then he, he raises the bar. You've heard it said that uh, retribution's okay. Eye for an eye. He says, let me tell you, it's not actually about retribution. It's about love. And you should always go the extra mile in love, right? And, and the people 
our, our floor. And what, what I'm here to tell you, like, like, listen, this is so revolutionary that Jesus isn't lowering the bar, but he's raising. And how high does he raise it? He raises it so high that, that a rich young ruler comes to him and is like, hey, how do I get into this kingdom you're preaching? Right? And he says to the rich young ruler, well, well for you to get in, you've got to go sell everything. And, and you, you sell everything you possess and give it to the poor. And then, and then come on and join me and follow me. Because Jesus knew that he cared about wealth. Right? And, and listen, the, the teaching of Jesus is so much higher and holier than even that of the Pharisees. That his disciples are finally like, this is what they ask in, 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 in uh, 1925. I think it's 1925. Or 520. Uh, yeah, in 1925. They, they literally ask, like, they, they hear this and they go, well, th- then who can be saved? Right? I mean, I mean that's the response when, when Jesus shows up and they're like, yeah, Jesus, stick it to the Pharisees. And they say, oh, by the way, I didn't come to stick it just to the Pharisees. I didn't come to make it easy. I actually come to that you might know the truth. And here's the truth, right? The truth is there's no way you guys can do this. That's, that's, the disciples finally figured it out in Matthew 19. Man, there's no way. Who can do this? And Jesus' response is, is, is this. Okay, 26. He looks at him. He says, with man, this is impossible. He's like, you're right. You can't do this. You can't. I, I pray somebody's told you this before. I really do. Jesus came to teach us that there was no way we could fulfill the law. He came to show us that we needed a Savior. That's why Jesus came, to say, hey, there is no way. So he says, this is impossible with man, but, what? But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Okay? It's a big deal. Jesus comes to show us the impossibility of being righteous on our own and by ourselves. He comes to show us that we need a Savior and that we need Him. Um, Which brings me to our last and final point. Every time you have a guest speaker and they wear your ear monitor, it never fits again for like three months and then feels like it's falling off and it's just weird and awkward and strange. So, uh, Okay, so the second point was all of our good works fall miserably short of God's standard for righteousness. Um, that's a problem. And so that's the last thing I want to share you, with you is this, is by grace, through faith, God imputes the perfect righteousness of Jesus to us. Okay? By grace, through faith, God imputes the perfect righteousness of Jesus to us. And so um, I've said this before, the process of justification is a two-phase process. And so uh, justification means it, it's, a, it's a formal declaration that we have been made right with God. We've been ra- made righteous. So being made righteous in the sight of God is actually, it, it involves two steps. And the first step is what we usually think about, but the first step is, is forgiveness. And so the first thing that God has to do is he has to declare that the penalty for our sin is removed. And so I have a little diagram, and uh, I've worked real hard on this. You can see how great my art is there in PowerPoint. And so uh, there it is. And so the, the first uh, circle there with all the minuses, that's, that's all our sin and the penalty of our sin. And, uh, and so that's a problem, right, because God's righteous. And so the very first thing God has to do is he has to remove that sin and remove the penalty for that sin. And so, um, so I just kind of want you to kind of think through that for a second. And, and so uh, that's the first part. So being forgiven 
means that our sin and the penalty for our sin, our past sin, present sin, and future sin, it's all removed, which makes us like that, that circle there on the right. Okay? And, and so uh, we, I, I call that moral, morally neutral. Okay? So I have no negative impacts from the sin. The problem is God's not morally neutral. Right? God is, is righteous. So I, I don't just need my sin removed. I don't just need the penalty of my sin removed. I, I, don't, I don't just need the, the, the negative removed. I, I need some positive added. And so the second half of justification is this, is, is that, that God does not just forgive us, but then he actually attributes to us all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so all of the goodness and all of the love and all of the perfection of Jesus is actually added unto me. And, uh, and, and, and we'll talk about that in a second. How does that, how does that work? I'm telling you, it's going to drive me crazy. Uh, how does that work? How, how can God do that? Give us all the righteousness of Jesus. Remove all of our sin. How can God do that when in fact we are sinners? That's a question you need to ask. How, how can God do that for me? How, how can he make me righteous when I'm really not righteous? Because it's impossible for God to lie. God can't just go, well, no, you're righteous. Right? Because God, God can't lie because we're not so, so how does that work out? So a transaction has to happen. So when, when I talk about uh, God imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus, I want you to think about accounting, okay? I want you to think about a ledger. And so the Bible says clearly uh, that God keeps records. I hope that doesn't catch you off guard. Uh, but it says God keeps records. And in God's books is a record of everything that we do think and say, okay? He's got a record. There's a file on you. Okay? And God has, has, has kept record of everything you've ever done, said, or thought. Okay? So that's, that's kind of in your record. It's in, it's in a ledger. And that's, I know, that's a, little, that's a little, I mean, the Bible actually says one day we'll be held in, in account for every word we've ever misspoken. So, so you think, think there's a record, there's a ledger of who you are, of what you've done, of what you've thought. That, 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 that's real. And so what God does... Uh, to, to make this happen, is he makes a transaction in his books, okay? So he takes all of your sin, he takes all of the negative, okay? And he actually, because, because so, it has to be accounted for. You guys follow me? Has to, the books have to balance. So it has to be accounted for. So God actually takes all of your sin, all your transgressions, all your shame, all your guilt, and he actually moves them. He doesn't, he doesn't just erase them. He actually moves them into the account of Jesus. Okay? So all your debts are moved into the account of Jesus. Now under, now, under your name, no debts. Under Jesus' name, all your debts. You guys following me? Okay? But, but he doesn't stop there. Then he, then he takes all of the positive, all of the credits of Jesus, and he also, then he applies those to your account. And so if you were looking, you look through God's filing system under your name, and you look for debits, and there are no debits. Right? There's, there's nothing, uh, none of that, it's all been removed. You go, wait, wait, this can't be right. And God's like, no, no, you don't understand. So the book's balance, I made a transaction uh, by grace, I chose to do it uh, because of your faith in Jesus. By my grace, I went ahead and I just I adjusted the books. Jesus paid for it for you. And oh, by the way, not only that, you also have all of these benefits 
that Jesus has done for you. You guys get it? Okay. God, by grace, through faith, imputes to us the righteousness, the goodness of Jesus. And so uh, here's the deal. Uh, I want you to understand the word impute just for a second because uh, throughout history, some people have really not gotten this. Like, like entire, not just denomination, but like basically the Catholics have never gotten this right. Okay, I say that lovingly. Um, there's a huge difference between imputed righteousness and infused righteousness. So imputed uh, has to do with an external act. Uh, it, this is what God has done in his record keeping. It's imputed. So, so God in his record books, external of you, has, has declared he has made your account right. That's external of you. That's imputed righteousness. God has done it for you. It is external. Now, infused, you guys know what infused is, right? I mean, we have all these infused waters now, right? You have water and you put a few berries in it and it tastes like a hint of berry, but really just water. You're like, ooh, that was great. Lovely. You're so talented. I could slice up some lemons and put them in water too. Been doing it for years. Uh, but no, charge me $10 a bottle. That's great. Thanks. Uh, the problem with infusing is that you know it's still just Elgin tap water. And the problem with infusing when it comes to the righteousness of God is that if the righteousness of God is just placed in you, you're still you. You still struggle with sin, and you still battle, and you still fail. And somebody still has to be accountable for it. And so this is where we get that whole thought in Catholicism that my good has to outweigh my bad. Because God put his righteousness in me, and then now it's kind of dependent on me, right? And so therefore, I have to do more good than bad or else. And that leads to a whole life of never knowing whether or not you stand in good account. And and, and hear me, that's just not right. That's not what God did. Now, Now listen, when God imputes you righteousness, that is an external act that has great internal consequence. So God declares you righteous, but he also gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Now that's that, that whole infused kind of thing you're thinking about. Now you have the Holy Spirit. You can have power over sin. But, but hear me, if we don't have that imputed righteousness, then at some point what I do, right, it's workspace. It's workspace. Then it's all about what I do. And the Bible declares, no, listen, no matter what you do, If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, no matter what you do, your account has always been credited with the righteousness of God. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So, um, what do we do when we learn this truth about the kingdom and its righteousness? I want to give you a couple things. First of all, why why is this important? If we're going to talk about why uh, it is is important, uh, the first reason why I think it's important is, guys, because sin is a big deal, right? Sin is a really, really big deal. And so, if we can jump ahead... Just an application. Um, the first thing I would challenge you to do this week is to see your sin through God's eyes. Um, sin is a big, big deal. And, and so we, we need to understand that. The kingdom of God, no one gets into the kingdom of God unless they are righteous. And so um, our, our, our sin is a big deal. And, and kind of the point I would make is like all sin is a big deal. And you may think, man, I'm just not that big of a sinner. Well, you are in, in God's sight because God's standard isn't good. God's standard is perfect. It's righteous. And, and so we, we, need, uh, we need a Savior. And so um, that kind of leads me to my second point, right? Why, why does this matter? 
this, this kingdom of righteousness, what matters, um, because there's nothing we can do to fix it. And so second point is we, we need to see how short our goodness falls of God's standard of righteousness. Like some of you, maybe, maybe that's you, and, and you were kind of, quote unquote, raised in church. And so you got on the rolls of a church pretty early, and you kind of think church is about being good. I love you, but you kind of think church is about not drinking and not smoking and not cussing. And you probably heard a lot of sermons along those lines, right? I, I, I heard once that that was what pastors would preach on if they stayed out too late the night before. Pastor's out, and he's enjoying a party, and you say, you know, he's having a good time with friends, and pastor's getting kind of late. Don't you need to get back and say, oh, it's fine. I'm just going to preach on beer and cigarettes tomorrow. Um, maybe you were kind of taught that that's, that's what it's all about. Um, listen, I don't care how good you are. The Bible clearly declares our goodness falls radically short of God's standard of righteousness. And so, um, third reason why. Third reason why is because, listen, you can be righteous, though. You can be righteous. It is a possibility. Um, All we have to do is turn to Jesus in belief. It's imputed. It's imputed. It's done for us, an external act, right? All we have to do is believe and trust in Jesus, which leads to really the last part, and, and this is the part I'm hoping brings you guys some peace, is that then we could rest assured. Okay, you can rest assured. I'm not going to make you um, raise your hands because all the lights are on, and that might freak some people out in the early service. We may do that in the second service, though. But uh, I, I believe, you know, we probably have 75, 80 people here this morning in the early service. I believe in a room this big, it's impossible that some of you don't actually struggle with that battle of, of feeling like you're still not good enough, of wondering whether or not you're really saved. Like some of you, that's, that's where you are. You're just like, I, I don't know. I, 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 sometimes I don't feel saved. I don't feel good enough. Sometimes I wonder uh, if I died today, would I, would I really be in the presence of God? I, I've sat by the bedside of people I considered like, I mean, they were like saints. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the Catholic Church didn't recognize them because they were Protestants, but they were saints. And I, I sat by their bedside and, and I watched them as they faced death and they would ask, I, I, just, I, I just, I mean, these people that I looked up to, these great pillars of faith, and they're like, I don't know if I've done enough. What, what do you mean you don't know if you've done enough? Right? Because there was this, this confusion about I had to be good enough. I had to do enough. And, and they, that had kind of been beat into their head over and over and over and over. And listen, what the gospel beats into our head and our heart over and over and over and over and over enough is this, guys. Ready? Look at me. It's not about what you do. It's about what he's done. That is the gospel. And if you're here and you are so tired of feeling like you're not good enough. There's a reason you're tired because God has been trying to shake you up and go, hey, I am. Not you are. Text doesn't say you are. Jesus didn't show up and preach, you are, you are, you are. He showed up seven occasions, proclaims, I am, I am, I am, I am. I am. I am. It's not you are. Okay? And so I, I pray this morning, maybe you find rest in that. Um, listen, we're not infused with the righteousness of Jesus. We're not just given the righteousness to live inside of us and then it's totally up to us. And then when we fail, we're failures. The righteousness of God, by his grace, through our faith in Christ, was, was listen, it, it, it wasn't infused. 
It was literally put in God's books, changed forever legally. We are declared righteous forever. It's a huge deal, okay? Imputed. It's a big deal. All right, guys, pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we find peace in it. I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here and they have struggled with this thought for a long period of time. Pray for those that have really in their spirits questioned whether they are good enough for God. And I pray this morning that by grace they would receive the truth of your word. That you are good enough for them. It's not about them being good enough for you. Just kind of where you are with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning and you needed to hear that, would you just raise your hand? You say, yeah, I've struggled with this. Just raise your hand. Yeah, I have struggled with this. I thought it was about me. Ooh, anybody else? Yeah. Okay, we're just going to pray a special prayer. That's what I'm asking. Anybody else? Okay. You just raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. Just where you are. I just want you to pray this with me. God, help me in the depths of who I am. Understand the depths of your love for me. God, today, help me nail down this truth that it is not about what I do, but it is wholly and completely about what you have done. Jesus, because of your life, because of your death, because of your resurrection, because you've brought me to faith, and because of the grace of God, Forever, the records of God have been changed so that God sees me as righteous all because of you. Jesus, I thank you. And I, from now on, will cling to that instead of my performance. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.